Welcome to Spawn Bifter Talks Podcast. I'm disability lifestyle influencer Diamond. I'm here to share the real life stories of Spawn Bifter Warriors. Spawn Bifter is not always portrayed or talked about in the media the right and real way. So I'll be sharing my Spawn Bifter story, experiences, important topics related to Spawn Bifter and disability, interview my friends with Spawn Bifter and other Spawn Bifter Warriors to share with the world what life is truly like with Spawn Bifter with one story at a time. Hey guys, welcome to Spine Bifida Talks. I'm disability lifestyle influencer Diamond. I'm here to share the real life stories of Spine Bifida Warriors. And on today's episode, I talk with Evelyn Richardson. From Las Vegas, Nevada, she's a full-time mom to her son, Nehemiah, YouTube content creator, entrepreneur, faith-based inspirational speaker, visionary, and author. Here's Evelyn with her Spine Bifida story. I was born with spina bifida and I am the only one in my family that has spina bifida. And when my mom was pregnant with me, they did not, you know, have that type of technology back then that could tell you if your child was disabled or not or had a birth defect. So when I was born, um, that's when they noticed, you know, the open spine uh, part of my back and, um, immediately after you know they began to do surgery um for five years of my life and then as well as you know breaking my ankles to try and correct them and um you know with my club feet and things of that sort and they said I was positioned wrong in my mom's belly so that was you know what it was that they said to her that I came out instead of head first feet first and then um you know as we Huh? Wow. Right. And then as we know now, they said it's because you don't have enough folic acid. But my sister said, you know, that my mom took a lot of prenatal pills and stuff when she was, you know, pregnant with me. So she doesn't really think that that was the cause of it. And so, you know, growing up, I just had this disability. I had these challenges and my parents never really treated me like I was disabled, you know, and Um, so I always had this mindset that I can do whatever it was that I put my mind to. And then I eventually became, you know, um, I was with my son's dad in whom we planned on getting married and, you know, the wedding got called off, but in the midst, I got pregnant with my son and now I'm pregnant. And so I knew I wanted to keep him. I didn't want to get an abortion. You know, I told God I was done doing that. And so, um, I conceived my son and they asked me did I want to be, do tests to see if he was, you know, if he had spina bifida. And, you know, they told me, they basically prescribed to me and told me to take a certain amount of folic acid. So I made sure I took my prenatal pills on top of like, I think like four like pills of folic acid. I think that's how much they prescribed. So I was doing that, you know, but in the back of my mind, I just really had faith and believed that God wouldn't give me a child with a disability because of my own disability, you know? And so they asked me that I want to do tests to determine if he had something, a condition. And I told them, no, I said, if my parents accepted me, you know, the way that I was and God gave them the resources to, you know, take care of me, I'm going to trust he'll do the same thing for me. So I denied that. I, I denied the testing. I didn't want it. And so I conceived Nehemiah and I carried him full term. I had natural birth. You know, I I wasn't bedridden. You know, I didn't have preeclampsia. I didn't have high blood pressure. Like I I just was sick my whole pregnancy. And I don't know if that's because I had a boy, you know, or something to do with my disability. But, you know, they 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 always say that it's because of your pregnancy, why you, you get morning sickness. But my morning sickness was like everyday sickness, you know, mm-hmm. so. Um, I conceived him and he was healthy and he's active and he does not have a liquor disability. And I'm just, you know, grateful to look at him and see that God would give me some, uh, some, someone that is able to do the things that I wasn't able to do at that age, you know? And so I'm truly grateful and blessed to have a, you know, an able body child and not only that I'm, I'm blessed because I have a disability and I have challenges and to still know that I can still take care of you know and raise a child with my disability
So growing up, um, I know you said you had you have a sister. What was it yeah. like growing up with a disability? You know, for your your sibling. Well, you know, which was a trip because you know the family that I grew up in. My mom, like my mom, was very God fearing, and she made sure we went to church. She made sure, you know, she always talked about God and praise and worship in the house and things like that and read the Bible. And it's like my siblings weren't like, you know, spiteful siblings or they weren't vindictive siblings. You know, it's like, I don't know if it's because of that error, but, you know, they loved me unconditionally and they had my back, you know, and they would, you know, drop anything for me and fight for me if they had to. But no one in my family literally, you know, treated me different. Like most of my teasing and you know attempted bullying and everything came from outside of my family you know people that didn't know me but my family just treated me like I was just like them they didn't treat me any different yes that's wonderful it's you know the best thing to have family support right Um, with spina bifida comes other uh, medical conditions so with your spina bifida what other medical conditions do you have Well, that's a good question because I don't really, like when I started my YouTube channel back in like 2013, around 2014, um, I never really looked into spina bifida. Like only time I looked, researched spina bifida is when I was doing a paper because it was easy to me. But I never really like researched spina bifida or found out, you know, uh, I didn't even know that there were different, um, levels of it you know mm-hmm. and so people would ask me like which one are you and I'm like I have no idea you know like <laughs> I'll have to check in my document or try and ask my dad and see if he knows but like um shunts I didn't know anything about that I don't have a shunt um for me I just think I I think my digestive system is just you know my disability and then I I um like I don't get I don't I don't know I don't know if it's because I'm still young I don't have like many medical conditions that I can see like I know I had a over like a um I had to get my bladder enlarged because I would just wet the bed too much and um like I couldn't hold it and stuff like that so they enlarged my bladder when I was in middle school to help me retain you know like they they enlarged it so that I can hold more liquid mm. so I know they did that for me and um like, I don't really think I have any other medical conditions. Okay, so you, you weren't, you don't have hydrocephalus, you don't have a shunt, mm. but you did, you did have um, club feet, right? Correct, yes. Okay, so, yeah. so yeah, so you just had the bladder issues and club feet, which yeah. people probably relate to. <laughs> um, so do you self-care? Yes, I do. I do. Um, It's a trip because um, at my, the first school I went to was an elementary school and they had a medical facility in there. And that's when I learned they taught me how to self-cath. And it was really weird, you know, having other people at such a young age, you know, teach you how to self-cath. And it's just like the things that we have to go through with the disability, you know, and having to be open and vulnerable to other people, you know, touching and probing and prying on us. Like, yes. um, you know, it, 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 we have, we have really tough skin because I don't know if other people would be able to do that, you know? Yes. So I, I do self-calf. Um, I say, unfortunately, cause I, I just get tired of doing it. I just, what happened was I used to be able to sit down and pee. And like when I was growing up, I had a pot and everything and I would go on the pot and stuff like that. But when they enlarged my bladder, it's like some type of nerve damage or something happened to where now in order for me to pee, I have to put a catheter, you know, up there in order to release the urine. Whereas before I used to just be able to sit down and pee. I can't do that anymore. And that's one thing I, I, I would like to have taken back, you know, if I would have knew that it was going to, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, take that away because sometimes 
I forget my catheter. I used to forget my catheters, you know, or think I had some in my bag and I ran out. And so I would be somewhere and I would sit on the toilet and really try to go and I can feel it like my stomach would be cramping and I just couldn't go. And it just, you know, it really, it sucks. You know, these surgeries, sometimes we think we need them. And in the end, it's like, did I really need that surgery? You know? Yeah. So do you remember like what age you began to learn how to self-cap yourself? I know I was in the third grade. Wow. So. Yeah, that's pretty young. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't learn until I was like 11 or 12 because they were trying to get me to do it when I was younger. But, you know, that I just felt like that was too much responsibility for me. And I didn't know how to say it besides, you know, saying no. But, you know, once I got closer to being a teenager, I was just like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was the truth because I, I don't know, they, they taught my parents and then they taught me. And so my mom would, would do it on me at home. And so I don't know if they were like preparing them because I didn't self-cath, you know, at that age, like I still wore pull-ups. I was still wearing diapers at the time and I still wore pull-ups up until middle school. So I was like, I didn't start like they taught me how to cath in the third grade, but I, I didn't start um, like catheterizing till let's see. Cause I wonder how I did it in elementary school. I know I wasn't self-cathing at, at, at school. So I want to say about middle school is when I started okay. middle school is when I started to teach myself so that I would no longer have to wear pull-ups. Okay. I know with spina bifida comes a lot of surgeries and different procedures. Is there one surgery for you that was the hardest on you physically and mentally? Well, all my, all my surgeries were like up until I was five. So I was young. So, Oh, you know, what type of pain or anything I had to go through. My parents don't really didn't talk about that, but my sister always said every surgery that I, um, I encountered, I always came out smiling. So I have a lot of baby pictures of coming out of my surgery smiling. And so I think that's what helped my parents, you know what I mean, through the process. And then this, the one that enlarged my bladder when I was in middle school, that was terrible. Like, um, I still have the scar and, and it's a trip because like, if I wanted to get a tummy tuck or something, Mm -hmm. I could do it because there's a scar there. You know what I mean? Like they would have to cut through that tissue. And I don't, I can't even, I don't even want to think about that, but um, it's basically like when they enlarge my bladder afterwards, I had this long, this tube in there that had me pee in a bag. So for a long time, I mean, it was terrible. Like, I don't know if my parents did this over my break or if I left, if I missed a lot of school, but I would have to crawl around with this bag attached to me and I was old enough. So I would have to like, um, you know, dump the, the pee in the toilet, you know, every time it got full, I would have to clean my wound. I remember on my own because I was just like really like a like a germaphobe. So and I didn't like seeing that. Like it was just terrible. And I was in the bed a lot and it was terrible because with them enlarging my bladder, I don't know if you've heard of irrigation, but I don't know what caused all this mucus and all this stuff to be inside of me, but it was for a long time where I had to um, irrigate and so they would give me this fluid where I would push up the catheter and then I would suck it out and it would suck out like all the mucus and stuff like I haven't I, I don't know what the stuff was but I did it for a very long time and still to this day sometimes I don't irrigate anymore but I still have the the mucus that comes out first before the urine mm-hmm. well That's yeah I could definitely you know imagine how hard that was for you to be at a young age and having to care for your own um, wounds and things like that and you know that's a big responsibility at that age right I agree so as you started school in elementary school 
how was your school system um, accommodating to you having a disability? Well, you know, um, they didn't treat me no different. Like, I don't know if they didn't see my crutches, but I just felt like everything I had, everything other kids did, I did. Whereas like physical activities that was like dodgeball, I was able to sit out on that, you know, if I needed to. But they always gave me the free will to participate as much as I could, you know. But sometimes I I felt like they didn't really realize, you know, that I had limitations. And just to even ask a child that's not able to do that is stressful, you know. Mm -hmm. So, like, places that we had to walk, you know, like, I still had to walk. And didn't matter how long I took and it didn't matter how slow I was like they never came to accommodate me you know or they never said you know what Evelyn you go before us because you're we know that it's going to take you some time you know like I think about when my um when I had to go to the lunchroom like they didn't carry my tray like my best friend carried my food you know Mm -hmm. and her and she was really like no I got it I'll do it for her you know because it's like, you guys aren't trying to, you know, you guys haven't even come to her and say, hey, Evelyn, like there should have been somebody assigned to me every time I went in the lunchroom, you know, yes. to help me get, and there wasn't. So th- when I think back, like there really was no accommodations, you know, for me. The only thing I know that my elementary school did is they built this cabinet for me in the nurse's room that allowed me to keep like my medical supplies like hackers or pull-ups you know whatever I needed and they gave me a key to it and that was like the most accommodating thing I've seen you know Mm -hmm. growing up and that was that was it and the only reason why they did that is because I fought and I you know I was very clean and I'm like you know we have to do a lot we got to take our clothes off you know we got to wipe we got to put pull-ups on dispose pull-ups like you can't be doing all that in you know a public restroom you can but you're not comfortable so I had to fight you know and ask them could I go in the nurse's room in the nurse's office and use their bathroom and so that's when they gave me that accommodation but it's not they didn't ask me you know how can we help Evelyn yeah definitely so they they treated you normal but still they lacked at giving you certain accommodations right and you know like, um, can you hear me? It's a trend. Yes. And so it's like, I noticed like if you were special ed or in the special ed class, then that's the only type of, you know, support that you would get because there were people in there working with those people. But it's like, if you were just disabled in a regular class, you didn't really, you know, like they didn't ask me, could you see the board or, you know, are you grasping what we're teaching, you know, and I don't, mm-hmm. I didn't really know if there were mental side effects that come with dis- being disabled, you know, you just think, oh, I didn't learn or I didn't, I didn't retain this. So I don't know this, but what if it's really because of your disability, you know, that didn't give you the opportunity to understand how to work math or how to read or certain things, you know? So there was nobody, you know, assigned to me to help me and make sure I was learning at my full capacity. I just did the best that I could. Yeah. So with your school, you were not in special ed, but there were other students with disabilities, but you didn't attend class with them or anything like that. Right. Like the only time I finally got in a, like a class that was for children that learned that didn't really understand certain things was in high school. And that was back dang near my junior or senior year because I, I finally got an IEP for math so that I could graduate and pass the exit exam because I kept taking it and I kept failing that part because math was just like, even to this day, it's like I black out when it comes to moving on to the other process when it comes to math, you know? And so mm-hmm. I never really was able to grasp math and people say it like it's so easy. And to me, mentally, I have like a block, like I, I can get it one minute and then struggle to put it together the next minute. So they gave me an IEP and that was when the, I finally got to, you know, was in a class K 
catered to my disability when it came to math. Wow. So you didn't even have an IEP in elementary school? No. Wow. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you just wish that you not like nowadays parents get their kids IEPs real quick, you know? They yes, because even even though your child may be in like not even in special ed, they still should, you know, have certain accommodations and IEPs to know what they're capable of and how exactly. they're progressing. Exactly. And so I guess I was just fine enough, you know, to where they didn't see that anything was wrong with me. So it's really hard not knowing if you just don't know it or if it's because of your disability, you know. Mm-hmm. So I try to help my son in areas that I lacked the best that I can so that he doesn't, you know, and I, and I get him help if I see something is off, you know, or if it's just like a mental thing or it's just like a learning, a learning curve that I can't help or he's not getting, I'm not going to let him, you know, struggle like I did to try to do my best if he really just doesn't understand it. Mm-hmm. So, did you have a favorite subject in school? I think because I feel like everything was hard, I didn't have a favorite subject. Like, history I didn't like because it was too much reading and I couldn't retain what I read. Um, Math, no. Um, Writing, I, I guess I liked it writing, but yeah, that's about it. If anything, I would say writing, art, no. Um, PE was pretty cool, but it still was a lot of work. And I think for me, PE was more of a challenge because it was more embarrassing, you know, because I couldn't do the things everybody else did. So you couldn't really enjoy it as much, you know, more so I just dreaded it, you know, having to think about going every time because I knew I wouldn't be able to do everything like everybody else. So what was your transition from elementary school to high school like for you? Um, I think more so, you know, and it's a trip that you're asking me these questions because it, it gets, it's getting me a little emotional because I just finished um, writing my book and the things that you're asking me is a lot of stuff that I put in there, but sometimes you, you surprise press a lot of memories you know and you push a lot of things down and you don't think about them so I feel like for me because it was always going to be something different something new and then if my best friend wasn't coming to the school with me it was like great you know I wish my dad can come to school with me you know I wish somebody would be here to protect me from all the stares you know or the laughs and the whispers and stuff like that so I think for me, I tried to fit in as much as I could, meaning like I tried to dress to impress so that at least I didn't look all the way broken down. You know, I didn't look all the way broken. So for me, I just, I tried to make sure my dad got me things that showed I was ready for the next grade. You know how your appearance changes as you get older and as you go to the next grade. So I just tried to make sure I had everything. I It's like I psyched myself out mentally. So it's like I, mm-hmm. I made sure I had all my school supplies. I made sure I had all these dividers, even if I knew I was going to struggle. You know what I mean? Trying to learn the concept. It's like I just mentally psyched myself out to prepare myself for what was to come, you know? And I just, I, I basically faked it so that I looked confident, you know, like I looked like I knew what I was doing so that nobody would bother me basically. So, you know, um, from middle school to high school, it was a good transition because a lot of my friends were going to um, the same high school as me. And then a lot of them were going to another high school that my dad was like, you're not going to. So that was pretty much a bummer, but I was, I was ready for high school. I had felt like I made it this far that, you know, high school is going to be great. The lunch is going to be better. We're going to have lockers, you know, all this cool stuff. And so I knew it was going to be a challenge because with high school comes more books, more classes, more walking, you know, and tardiness. So 
it was it was definitely going to be a challenge. I knew that much. So as far as dating goes, what age did you start to date and like wanting to explore that as a person with a disability? Um, I, I think I always like because I hung out with my cousins a lot and, you know, they're girls and we would always do things like go to the skating ring and meet people and see people. And because I, I dressed a certain way and because my, you know, my confidence was what it was, you know what I mean? Like we, we always, and I say we, because me and my cousins were really close and we always hung out to the point where we were like popular, you know? So we, we, we had friends with the opposite sex. So middle, I mean, elementary school, you know, I had crushes and I liked people you know but by the time I got to middle school that's when I had a relationship with you know somebody from my school and it was just like hi you know you know innocent innocent relationships you know maybe a kiss on the cheek stuff like that Mm -hmm. and then by the time I got to high school it's like okay I have a full-on relationship you know like middle school I had a serious relationship was it middle school? I think it was like, so high school, I really had my first real relationship. And I didn't really care to be sexual. But you know, it's always the, the I'm not gonna say it's always the guy. But in my in, in this case, it was the guy, you know, that that wanted to be sexual. And I really didn't want to be sexual. But eventually, we ended up being sexual. And it was just like, what was that for? You know what I mean? Yeah. What was that for? And it's kind of hard because a person cannot really tell you if you have feeling. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. you don't know how much feeling you have. You know, you feel something, but you don't know if it's the fullness of. But I like to believe that I got feeling, but honestly, I think I don't have the fullness of the feeling, if that makes sense, when it comes to having sex. So high school is when I got had my first relationship and when I lost my virginity and yeah I just went on from there so how how did your parents feel about you dating and you know were they like protective or or like kind of scared to you know let you you know get into dating well um it's like I always told my dad everything and I share with my mom. So they didn't know I lost my virginity though, but they probably didn't know. I don't know when they knew I was sexually active, to be honest. Like, I don't know if it was in until um, I got pregnant with my son or what, but um, uh, they, they always, you know, I don't know. They, I don't know if they, they, they just was like, I guess they just trusted me and they, they trusted me to do the right thing. But like, I would always introduce the guys I was dating to my dad and to my mom, you know, because it's like, hey, this is what I'm doing. I need you guys to know it. And here they are. So, you know, I never really hid any relationships from my parents, probably in elementary school or like middle school. Yeah in elementary school if I had a crush but high school I was just like this is what it is you know wow yeah that's great um so as far as like having a disability and now that you're a mother how did your doctors ever like talk to you about you know getting pregnant and you know was that ever you know possibility or something that they like steered you away from Honestly, I don't ever, I don't remember my doctors ever telling me that I couldn't conceive a child, you know, they could have said it, but I, I mean, my dad, I think if they would have told my dad that he would have told me, but the only thing they always said is that I wouldn't be able to walk. And, um, for, 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 for me, that was all like, even when I got pregnant, they didn't they act like I was normal. Like they didn't even talk to me about an epidural or anything like that. And I had always, I told myself that I was going to have a natural birth because I had surgery on my spine and I didn't want 
them to stick a needle back there and paralyze me in any other way, you know, or in worse. So I said I wasn't going to get an epidural. But come to find out, the day of my, you know, labor, they were like, oh, you can't get an epidural anyway because you've had spine surgery. And I'm like, why didn't my doctor ever tell me that? You know, like, what if I never prepare myself for a natural birth? That could have been devastating, but I, I wanted a natural birth because of my spine surgery. Now, if I didn't have spine surgery, I probably would have gotten an epidural, you know, mm-hmm. who knows, but they never really talked to me about, about the possibilities of him coming out like me. You know, they just asked me once, did you want the test? And that was it. And, you know, that was all it's like I was just in this thing by myself really because like I said I didn't really I didn't have any friends with spina bifida at the time I I wasn't on YouTube you know I didn't even know about um the spina bifida association well I didn't know of it that much like I only knew a little bit because they would send my dad stuff and because we would travel to Oakland California to meet with different doctors but by the time I got old enough I was like I don't want to go Oakland anymore I don't need them telling me anything else about my disability like I was done at that point yeah I mean for me I wouldn't want you know a needle stuck in my spine either especially because I don't like needles and you know I feel like I would want a natural birth also right you know you don't want to be paralyzed and you already have you know this disability and you don't know if if they do it and you get that feeling back or you know something can change from it right right and that's true so after giving birth what was what was you know your first like year like as you know being a mother and you know who helped you and you know what was it like for you emotionally and things like that um like for me I just I had certain things to help me take care of my son my dad worked so he worked from about he left the house before I woke up so he probably was out by six you know like the a.m like between five and and seven and he didn't get home till 11 p.m so I was always at the house by myself from from the jump and so my son like I made sure I had I got a bassinet that had wheels on it so that I would be able to push him around the house um I got a stroller like the the little ones that you um you pull down so that I can push him around the house you know I had a Moby wrap, like a harness, so that I can carry him. And I just really, it, I mean, sometimes there were times where I would hold him in one hand and crawl, you know, depending on what part of the house we were in. So my house was never modified, um, but I had things that were modified, like a stroller or a bassinet. You know, I used, you know, as modification to help me care for him mm-hmm. so I really you know I didn't really I didn't really have any help like my parents weren't you know like I said they never treated me any different so nobody was like I'm gonna come over here and help you with the baby I'm gonna wash the baby's hair for you you know like you know I'm gonna put the baby's clothes on it was never any of that like everything I did I did it by myself wow that's that's just beautiful and inspiring that just goes to show how strong you are. And that's just amazing to me. I love hearing that. Thank you. <laughs> so at that time that you had your your um, son, you, were, mm-hmm. you weren't living on your own. You were with your parents. Right. I was living with my dad. So my mom and dad had divorced eventually. So I was living with my dad. Oh, okay. So when when did you start living on your own? And what was that transition like for you? So my son was a year and a half and I moved to Las Vegas. So I lived in Sacramento and when he was a year and a half, I moved to Las Vegas because I wanted to get out of Sacramento to lay a foundation of like Christ for my son and just independency. And because my dad was always 
college with him. I wanted to make sure I could do this on my own. If he ever passed away, I wanted to make sure I would be straight by myself, you know. Um, so I'm like, now is the time I'm going to get out of Sacramento and I'm going to move to Las Vegas. So the transition, I mean, I already, you know, vacuumed my room at my dad's. I already washed dishes at my dad's. I already cooked my own food at my dad's, you know. Um, the only thing that would be different is, um, and, you know, I already have my own car at my dad's. So I already, you know, transported myself and my son from the house to the car. Um, the only thing that was different is washing my car, um, taking the trash out, and let's see. I already cleaned up my dad's house because I was like the wife. You know, I helped mm -hmm. my dad. So I already, you know, our bathtubs were clean and, you know, his, his, his shower, his sink or certain things was clean. I did that stuff for my dad already and myself. So the only transition I would say is just not having comfort you know like being able to know that hey it's me and you son and we're gonna ride it to the wheels fall off and God has our back and we got this so and then like not being afraid you know you hear things about people breaking in your house or you know kidnapping or you know all kind of things like that so having to just know that we were going to be okay which was a transition knowing that my dad like hey if your car breaks down your dad ain't gonna be here to fix it you know mm -hmm. having to transition my mind in that sort um and like I didn't work when I had my son so that was a transition when I finally started working and having to be comfortable with where I left him or who I left him with or putting him in daycare and stuff like that that was a transition. My dad never wrote, never watched my son. Like if I went to the store, you know, my son went with me. My dad really never, you know, it would probably have been like three times or so, you know, if I really, if I asked him to watch him. But other than that, my dad didn't, didn't watch my son for me. Um, not because he said no, but just because I just, you know, I did everything on my own. And I'm the type that because my parents pushed me so much, and just was so like stern. They they're very like real militant to where I just never wanted to drop the ball. If that makes sense, I always strive for, for perfection. Like I always felt like I had to be perfect. And so I looked at it as if I have a babysitter to watch my son, I'm losing strength. If that makes sense, because mm -hmm. challenges make you stronger. And I looked at it as if I give my son to somebody and I'm always, oh, let me go to the grocery store. You watch my son. Oh, let me go get my, you know, my dad only watched my, like if I went to get my hair done, that was like the beauty. Like that was the time that my dad would watch my son. And still I'm trying to get back home, you know, to get my son. But I just felt like if I, if I didn't take on my responsibilities, I was weak, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You brought up two good points. Um, one is I know for us with disabilities, it could be hard to like, you know, the process of learning how to drive. So how was that process for you? Girl, <laughs> I put that in my book. Um, learning how to read this book. <laughs> dude, it was a challenge. Um, it was a challenge because you're already doing something that said that you can't do you know that's supposed to be too hard for you and it's a car you know I'm in a car I have a disability and I'm on the road like is this even real so the challenge for me was having to learn hand controls because I I didn't even know anything about hand controls like I didn't know what I thought I was going to do like I knew I was taking driver's ed and I was trying to drive and get a permit. I did not know anything about hand controls. I don't know how I thought I was going to be moving this vehicle. <laughs> but hand controls is what allows people, you know, with certain disabilities to be able to drive. There are certain hand controls that look like a game console. And I'm like, uh-uh, they should not be allowed on the road. Like, that looked crazy. 
but the hand controls I have are, um, it's like you push in for the brake and you pull down for the gas and you do it all with one hand. And then you have a spinner knob on the steering wheel that helps you spin the wheel because I guess it's our balance in our upper body. I think it's our balance that doesn't allow us to be able to whip the steering wheel back or, you know, turn it as quickly as somebody that's able-bodied. So that was a challenge because if you pull it down too far, you're like, you know, if you push it in too hard, you're breaking heck of quick. So it was like scary, you know, especially when I got on the freeway, but, um, I had driver, I had a, a, a driver's, what is that called? Like a instructor that, you know, came out and did lessons with me. And he was really like, uh, but he helped me, you know, he was stern and he, he helped me and he, he pushed me. So I was finally able to, you know, complete driver's training into which I was able to go take my written test. And that took about four times, four times to take my written test because I just couldn't remember the information on the test in the book. So I read the book, but I couldn't remember what I read. So what happened was back then they used to give you your test back. And so because all my friends and everything were taking tests and because I failed it three times at this point, I had all the tests. There was only three three tests at the time. So I got every test and I studied every test and I memorized the answers. And that's how I passed my driver's test. And then that's how I went on to take my driver, my driving test. You know, I passed my written test. I went on to take my driving test and I passed that on the first time. And that was a blessing. Cause I was like, uh, I'm official now guys. Give me the car. All right. <laughs> So once you learn how to drive, what was like the process of you getting a car and how, as far as like paying for it, how did that work for you? Because I know for me, like, I'm thinking like, once I learn how to drive, like, how am I going to afford a car? Like, that's a big payment. (laughs) Right. And so um, my dad had maybe two or three cars at the time one two he had two two or three three cars at the time and so his his plan and I and I I bless God for my dad I think that the reason why he did this is because he didn't want me to have to um feel as though I couldn't make it in life so one of his cars, it was an Acura Integra, it was red. He always planned to give it to me. He planned to have hand controls put in the car so that I can drive it. And so that was, all. I always knew that that's how my car was going to come. And um, two sides to that. Hand controls are expensive. Right now, they're probably about $1,200. You know what I mean? Wow. Um. <laughs> girl wow is right like they used to be between 600 and 800 now they're 1200 dollars in california and so i did all of this and i couldn't drive yet and it was like you know because that was just like okay you got the car but now you need the hand control so i had to wait about a year i had to wait a whole grade until i could drive you know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I I was legit, but I couldn't drive because it was a, it was a huge it was a hefty penny. So once I was able to drive, then they had the hand controls installed, and um, that's you know that's a challenge within itself because it's not like we can just get in a car and move it. You know, you have to have two people driving their car and driving your car, take it to the the disability. It's like a mobile disability center. They put the hand controls on and that takes a few hours. And then you have to go back up there and get the car. And then you have to sit in the car to make sure the hand controls, you know, every hand control like is different. So like when you get a, a hand, like hand controls in a rental car, they're like brand new and you can feel them because they're really like stern. They're like new, so it's like, okay, these haven't been broken in. 
And then when you get back in your car, you're like, ooh, these are heck of weak. You know, they're not weak to where you'll get in an accident. They're weak to where you can tell like, hey, I know how to work these. You know, these are mine and stuff like that. So that was that was a challenge. And then another thing that I had that I felt like I missed because of my disability is, you know, some of my friends were going to the lot, you know, getting a car or not really the lot, but um, going online looking for a car at this time because we're in high school. So we're, we're, we're at that age. And so mm-hmm. it, 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 I felt like I didn't get to get that, you know, like I had to take his car, you know, I didn't get to go and look for like a little, a little Raza Jeep. If that's how you say that, um, that brand, I didn't get to go look for, you know, what I really wanted because finances for one. And I, and if my, the finances were, you know, better than my dad probably would have let me, you know, go pick a car out. But from the gate, I had to take his car and it wasn't a bad car at all. It was a nice car, but it smelled like him, you know, mm-hmm. and so I had to like make it my own. So I was really into SpongeBob at the time. So I got SpongeBob floor mats and, you know, SpongeBob air freshener. And I, I wanted to really just, you know, make it my own, like car seats and stuff like that to make me feel like this is my car. Because I looked at, you know, my friends and I seen how they pimp, you know, they, it was their car from jump. And then they added to it. Like, for instance, when my friend got her car, she got hers before me. Cause you know, she's able-bodied. She can just go get a car. Um, she had this white Sentra. Um, and she, we went, I went over to her house. We washed the car, you know, she had her, her air freshener, everything in the car and she just made it her own. And I was just like, wow, you know, my dad was always cleaning the man. He did everything. So it was like, his cars was always washed, you know, <laughs> like I'm not really being able to do anything with this car, but I guess I got to experience it through my friends, you know, but that's one thing I always wished that I had back then, but I was able to get that going forward. So to answer your question about how can you afford it? So, you know, I received social security disability because I worked, um, because I worked. And so I paid into that. And so I went through a couple of cars. I had a red Acura. I had a black BMW. Um, I had a burgundy Buick. I had a um, a white Dodge Malibu, a Malibu, Chevy Malibu. And now I have a, a Buick, another Buick again. So my last two cars, I was able to go to the car lot and pick a car like the first the 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 second to the last car I went with my mom went with me and it's like the guy just took me to one side like look at this car and I liked it but I think being a girl and probably having a disability like he just treated me like you know there was nothing out there for me and then my mom was like yeah this is nice you know they always want you to be safe they you know yeah this is nice mm-hmm. it's like I liked it, but I didn't really like it, you know, but I just, I settled for it. And so I told myself, I'm not going to do that again. And next time I'm going to go by myself. So about five years later, I went and I, I went and got the car that I have now. And so it's something like, it's mine, you know, I can say, this not my dad's car, you know, I'm gonna put whatever I want to put in it, you know, he's not going to tell me anything. And, um, I make my payments basically with my, with my check. So I don't recommend that if you don't have enough income coming in, you know, because a car payment can be a lot, you know, and you can always save, you know, half of your check if you're really determined, you know, and put it to the side. I mean, I got a BMW at one point for $5,000. Um, I got a Buick one time for $4,000. So yeah, it, it's, it's, I mean, those cars were good cars too. I just ran them to the wheels fell off, but it's possible to save, to get something affordable and then work from there because those two cars weren't off the lot. I bought those, you know, off of somebody. So I didn't have a car payment, but 
my my white Dodge, I only have five thousand left on it, but I went and turned it in and I got another car. So it you know, it, it's it's different options. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know you mentioned working. So what what was it like, you know, finding a job and working and did you need any accommodations as far as when you were working and you know you you're just all in my book. This must be confirmation that I wrote the right stuff in there. So working was a challenge because automatically when you go in there, they're already discriminating yeah. against you. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and now that I walk with one crutch, I feel like they're really discriminating against you, <laughs> you know, but um I had accommodations if I needed them, but I always felt like I had to prove that I needed the accommodations, you know, like for instance, they can lower your desk or they can give you a foot rest for your feet. Um, They can give you a certain type of keyboard. They can give you a certain type of mouse and certain things. And I just always felt like because the company feels like it's more money and it's an expense instead of a necessity, I always struggle with telling them, hey, I need these accommodations because I felt like I always had to prove and justify why. Like, just because y'all see me like this does not mean that I don't have challenges. Just because I make it look easy, it's not easy, you know? So when I got my first real job, you know, they accommodated me and that was great. But it's only so much they can do. Like, they can't help how far the bathroom is, you know? Um, they can't help that, hey, if you bring lunch, you're going to have to walk way over here to put it in the refrigerator and then way back to your desk, you know? So some things I just had to mm-hmm. chalk it up, you know, and accept working. But my last job, I actually um, just left there so that I could finish writing my book. Um, I just was telling them like, hey, I want to do something clerical. I want to do something where I'm not moving as much because I was a substitute teacher. Um, and I was always bounced around from different rooms and I was just tired of that. You know, I'm like, I, I, I push myself to do this job, but I'm getting tired. You know, I'm getting tired of walking back and forth. I'm getting tired of, you know, bending over, cleaning these tables. Like it just is too much, um, tedious work. So I left there and I, it's like they can they couldn't really accommodate me, you know. Um, how can they? Like, unless I say, leave me in this one room all day. If you leave me in this room all day, but you still have to be active, you know, you're watching kids, you gotta move around, you gotta make sure they're not doing anything, you know, you gotta keep the place sanitary so you're always cleaning, you're always washing your hands. Then when it's time for them to go outside, you're pivoting, you know, outside to make sure nobody's getting hurt or doing anything they're not supposed to. So it still was going to be a physical, too much physical, you know, labor for me. And I just couldn't handle it anymore. So, you know, I'm getting older and I just feel like maybe that's why, I don't know. But um, yeah, there are challenges when it comes to working, but there's people in the workforce that are disabled and they're, you know, they're great and they're getting the assistance that they need. I just wish that they would make it easier for us coming in, you know, that we wouldn't have to know somebody or that knows somebody that we won't have to prove that we know what we're doing, that they will just give us a a chance, you know, to show them. I mean, now, if we're if we just drop in the ball, then by all means, you know, that's a whole nother story. But don't just discriminate as soon as we walk in the building. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So when it comes to your identity with Spina Bifida, how do you identify yourself? I don't know if you're familiar with the person versus identity first. No, what is that? Um, Person first is like when you say, I am a person with a disability, whereas identity first is where you put your disability before yourself. Um. I put my myself first, then my disability, right? So, like, if I say I'm Evelyn and I have spina bifida, is that yourself first, then spina bifida, like, then your yes. disability? Yes. Okay. So that's saying like, oh, there's more to me than just my disability. You know, it's a part right. of me, but it's not, you know, all there is. 
you know right yeah. judge a person just on one characteristic or one physical attribute right yes so I put myself first and then my disability what word would you use to describe your life living with spina bifida and why is that for you one word would I use to describe myself one word I just say determined I say determined yes determined because even when I have hard and challenging days, I'm still determined to make it through the hard and challenging days, you know? Yeah, you didn't oh. made it through a lot of things, and I've just been loving hearing your story, so I would <laughs> definitely agree on that. Awesome. So what are some misconceptions about Smyrna Bifta? from your experience, do you think people have? Um, that we are so limited, you know, I, I don't like, there's no hope. I would say I see a lot of hopelessness in with people. People think that there's hopelessness for people with spina bifida. And when I see different people with spina bifida doing different things, it basically, I feel like takes that stigma off of it, if that makes sense. Like we're not as hopeless as people think that we are because we have this disability that nobody talks about, you know, mm-hmm. as if spina bifida does not even exist. You know, when they look at me, they used to think that I had cerebral palsy, you know, and it was like, okay, what is that? But I knew what it was because of when I went to physical therapy and stuff and I rode the yellow bus, I, I seen those kids. But it's like, no, I don't have that. And it's not even being educated on what spina bifida is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like, oh, they have a disability and that's it for them for the rest of their lives. And I feel like that's not true. Yes, definitely. That's not true. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel when the media uses words like suffering, fighting, or battling with our disability? Um, I feel like it's already done. You know, like from birth, we've come into this world and we've made, we've made it this far. So at this point, it's really just challenges, you know, that you can overcome. Um. It's like the obstacles. We've already been through the surgeries. You know, we've already been through the naysayers. And and now we know how to deal with this. So we're going to keep on fighting. You know, we're going to keep on pressing. We're going to keep on doing, you know, X, Y, Z. For instance, I wouldn't say it's like cancer, you know? Yes. I don't think spina bifida is like a cancer. So those labels don't really um, speak to the spina bifida community at all. Definitely, yes. Not at all. Like, it's yeah. not a disease. It's something that we could live with. It's, right, you know, right. Go on. It's not something that's going right. to take our lives or, you know, it's treatable. Right. I agree. In what ways do you like to help bring awareness and education about spinal bifida? Um, when people ask me, uh, and it's, it's a trip because everybody does not ask me about it. You know, I can have neighbors or friends that I talk to for a long time until I say something and then they say, well, what is it that you have? You know, then I'll be able to educate them on that. And then I tell them, oh, I have a YouTube channel and yes, and I reach the, I communicate with other people and you know it's a great community and stuff like that then they become they learn about it and then they say oh okay you know I'll follow and I would love to see that you know but it's like they don't even know what it is that you have you know and then I don't see a lot of people walking around with crutches you know you see people in wheelchairs but you don't you don't really know what it is that they have you know 
and you don't really see people in wheelchairs with spina bifida either you know you just see people in wheelchairs for whatever reason but you don't see people in wheelchairs with leg braces on or you know that are that are small like you or short like you or you know have limitations like you and so it's really like you're in a big world all by yourself fighting to be different showing people that you're different yeah and a lot of people don't know that spina bifida has a lot of different faces there's no right you know there's, right. there's many types and, you know, many things that come with it. And, you know, no right. two people with spina bifida can look the same. Right. Nope. And nor are they trying to, you know, interview them or bring them to the, to the, to the forefront to show that there's different shades of them. You know what I mean? Yes. What would you tell a young girl or boy growing up with spina bifida? To just know that, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel um, to do what would to make accommodations to fit their needs um, and to not give up and to know that they were born different, know that they were born special, know that they were born with a purpose and know that they were born for a reason, you know, and um they can do anything they put their mind to. Yes, that's great, great words of encouragement. I love that. Yes, definitely. Yeah. What do you want people to know and understand about spina bifida? Um, that spina bifida is not the end of the world. It's It's not the end. You know, spina bifida is just something that we are born with, but it does not, it, 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 def- it, it defines us, but it does not define us to the point where we, we can't live a life. We can't have a child. We can't be married. We can't find love. You know, we can't enjoy, enjoy life. Yes. That's girl. How. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's how. Yes. They really need to know that. I agree. I agree. Because people think that, you know, you have to live at home with your parents 24-7. You know, you can't never find love. And there's somebody out there for everybody. You know, I don't care what you look like. Like, there is somebody that loves that. You know, there's somebody that's going to accept your disability. You know, whether you have crutches, whether you have a wheelchair, whether you cat, whether you wear pull-ups, whether you wear diapers, you know, whatever it is, there is somebody made specially for you. That's how I feel. Yes, I feel the same way. Yes, there's somebody yeah. for everybody. I agree. So I know you talked about having a book. So share uh-huh. about, share like what is it about and what was your inspiration and what was the process like for writing the book? Because that's something I want to do. Oh, well, um, you're the first person um, that knows about my book outside of my son, my dad, and my cousin um, to know that I've just finished it. And so I was given this, it was prophesied to me three years ago that I would write a book. And back then I'm like, write a book? Like who is writing a book and why? But I because I believe it was a word from God, I stuck with it and I remembered it. And eventually I opened up a word document and I just began to write my life. You know, I began to write my challenges. I began to write my struggles. And so when I faced hard challenges, I would stop writing and God would whisper to me, write. And so then I would write and I would feel much better as I wrote. And so three years later, I said, you know, God, I believe I know what the purpose of this book was for. I believe I know what it is that you're trying to get me to see. And it's basically a book about my purpose and what I'm called to do and how the enemy will fight you every step of the way when he knows that you're called, when he knows that you're special, when he knows that you're gifted. And you will encounter a lot of challenges in life, but the challenges are only to make you stronger. 
but the devil will use that to try and defeat you. But we already gained victory through Christ Jesus. So as I began to write, I began to see patterns in my life and why I kept going through the things I was going through. And it, it had a lot to do with my identity. You know, mm-hmm. it had a lot to do with accepting who I am and what I'm called to do and looking to the world to basically, you know, define me or to fit in when I was born to be different. I was born to stand out. I was born with a purpose. You know, I was born to share my story. So that's what brought about the inspiration of the book. And it, and it's only the first book because as I continue to progress, you know, I will continue to document my life for somebody else to see that the things that we go through, they serve a purpose. We just have to sit down and focus to see what that purpose is. So um, mid-March, I should be publishing that and then um, it will be available, you know, for purchase through Amazon. So it doesn't, you know, it, it, it does not hurt, you know, to start now because you never know where it's going to end or lead to, you know, three years later, I would never, three years ago, I would just never think that I would be at this purpose. I I never thought that I could write a book, you know, who, why me, who, why, who, who, me and why me? And God said, why not you? So that's been the staple for my life. Why not me? You know? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. And I can't wait till it's released because I sure want to read it. And (laughs) I know it's just going to be wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. I am. I'm excited because I think the purpose is to help other people know that you're not alone in the challenges that you face. You know, um, the things that we don't tell anybody, you know, there are people going through those same exact things and to just know that you can overcome them. I feel like it's going to be motivation for other people, you know, to keep to keep persevering you know and to get out of that um that well that they're in you know that pit mm-hmm. i want to say thank you to evelyn for joining me on today's episode of spineville for the talks you can follow evelyn on her youtube channel at ev richie that's e-v-e-r-i-i-c-h-i-e and her book from birth to heaven is out now on amazon When we go about our lives, disabled or not, we all have a purpose and dreams we want to achieve in life, but we seem to get stuck on the how. But if we just have the determination, where the determination is, the way can be found. Thank you all for listening, and I will see you guys on the next episode of Spine Biffida Talks. (music) 